You are listening to the Crosspoint Fellowship Podcast. We are in a series called Once Upon a Parable, where Jesus utilizes stories to tell us what the kingdom of God is really like. Just a little straw poll on a scale of 1 to 10, on a scale of 1 to 10, just a little straw poll that talk, talk to me, talk to me. How much, how much judging is there on Facebook? Judgment, judging, judging people, judging other people. How much? On a scale of 1 to 10. 10? 12, that's what I was waiting for, like, yeah, like 15, <laughs> on a scale of 1 to 10, 20. Uh, yeah, people are nice and, do what? Well, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of what, I don't know if it was made for that, but that is what it's become, and then, you know, the comment section on news articles, I think, are the dumbest thing ever, because what we're doing is we're telling people that your opinions no matter if you are a part of this situation or not, your opinions matter as much as the factual news. And, and so, so we are people who have this judging gene in us. It's kind of, it's kind of built into us. Uh, uh, as many of you know, if you, if you knew, you're not quite so familiar, uh, that uh, I referee soccer. And uh, talk about <laughs> experiencing judging. Uh, a couple of weeks ago... Um, I was at MSU and uh, refing the opposing coach uh, 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 judged that the other, one of the other referees uh, was cheating, called him a cheater. I mean, that's a big word, right? And then on a call that I made, called me a cheater. There's a difference between judgment or judgments, making a decision, and judging. See, if, if, if a coach would say, that's a bad call, that's a judgment. He's making a judgment. He's disagreeing. But calling somebody a cheater, that's another, that's a whole other level, right? That's going into the intent of somebody. Because think about, think about that. For a referee to, to, to be a cheater, you have to see something and then intentionally not call it a certain way because they're the home team or because you like them, whatever. I mean, that's a, that's a big spot to be in. That's a big word. But we kind of have this judging gene in us. We're in this series called Once Upon a Parable. We're taking a look at the parables of Jesus in Matthew 13. And, the, and what a parable is, it's, it's, it's not a true story as in like this is something that, that Jesus is, is, is saying like recounting a story that happened, but they are true from the standpoint of these stories that Jesus told, there's something that people saw all the time. And what he's doing, he's telling these stories in order to prove a point and, and, and talk about a point of the kingdom. And we started off with the treasure of the kingdom and that the treasure is, 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 is greater than any other treasure of this world and that so great that we want to go all in with this. And then the next week, if we go all in, God is going to take our all in and grow it. But we've got to prepare our soil in such a way that fruit is produced. And then the next week, we, 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 we go all in and this is such a great treasure. But at the same time, why is this all so difficult? Why is this so, all so difficult? Why is there evil and good? And if God's kingdom so good, why, why is this all just jacked up? And then last week, we took a look at kingdom growth and the, the mustard seed and the yeast and, and the parables that we're, we're very, very familiar with. If you've been around church at all, you've probably heard these parables and, and that God is more patient with your growth than you are. 
And God is more interested in you growing than even you are. And that, that when kingdom, the kingdom grows inside of us as people and inside of us as, as a community, as a, as, as a body of people, that, that, that when we grow in the kingdom, people get to find rest. And when we grow in the kingdom, that we start permeating the society and permeating culture with kingdom restoration. And this week, I warned you two weeks ago not to be here, but none of you heeded this warning. This is hell week. <laughs> this is judging week. And some of you are like, oh, man, I forgot. I should have been gone. Oh, and I invited somebody or I came for the first time this week. It has to be this week. It's like the two worst weeks to show up the first time is money week and hell week. And maybe sometimes those are the same. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> We're taking a look at another parable that Jesus tells us about judging about the end times and I know that if you struggle with church and struggle with God and struggle with Jesus and struggle with all this thing and you've maybe even stepped out of church for a while it maybe has something to do with this but remember there's a difference between judgment and judging and that while we all have this judging thing inside of us as evidenced by Facebook God has told us to throttle that But at the same time, when it comes to God and hell and judging and judgment and the judgment day and, 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 and all this, we kind of have a tendency to go to two extremes. One is that we see God as all revenge, that all he's doing is getting revenge on people who did him, did him wrong. Like God's like some Italian mobster just getting revenge on people. But then we could go to the opposite end of the spectrum and say, nah, God doesn't judge and there's no judgment and there's no hell and there's no... As usual, the truth is somewhere in the middle. And we'll be taking a look at that. Matthew 13, we're going to throw the scriptures up on the, on the screen. And, and you want to follow along either on the screen or on the Bible, event, Bible app event page because we're going to cover a lot of ground today. We've got a lot of verses to look at today. So... You either need to have, be you know, an ace in Bible drills or just relax and watch the screen. <laughs> One of the two. Because we're going to be covering a lot of verses, not just the parable in Matthew 13, 47. So we've got this, 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 this judging gene in us. Where does it come from? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up into the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we're, we, we see this God, this Jesus, who's talking about the end of times and that there's a, a judging thing that's going to happen and judging thing that's going to occur. And, and, and the reason why we have this judging thing in us is that because we are created in God's image and that and that, that is something that God gets to do. We'll get into that more, but that's something that God gets to do. In fact, the, the writer 
of the, most of the New Testament. Paul talks about this in Romans 2. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law, Gentiles, the people who didn't grow up around religion, didn't get taught religion in the Bible and all this, who do not have God's written law, they were never taught the Ten Commandments, they were never taught the law of God, show that they know His law when they instinctively obey it even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they were doing right. Even people who are far away from God know that murder is wrong. There's something going on in there. Even people who are far away from God can sit on a jury and say, we need to give you justice because you killed somebody. There's something going on there that is telling us that God has written it in our hearts that there is some sort of law out there that we need to abide by. And see, that's where this comes from. But God's also told us to throttle this. See, the judging that Jesus came down against in the New Testament, do not judge, is him telling us, do not tell people they don't have a chance with God. I am here to tell you that you always have a chance with God. There is always hope. You can never say that nobody, you, that other people do not have a chance with God because people always have a chance to have a relationship with God. But there's still this system of justice that's written in us. And if there's a system of justice, there's a line of justice, right? That above this line, it's righteous, and below this line is unrighteous. That's why we have juries, right? That's why we have the court system. We have this built inside of us. Even societies that, that have paid no attention to God at all have some sort of a justice system and some sort of a line. So one of the questions that we have to ask with this system and with this line, so who gets to determine the line? Who gets to determine the line? Somebody gets to determine the line, right? Where, where the, the line, where one side is, is righteous and one side is unrighteous. Who gets to determine this line? In God's system of justice, in God's system of judgment, who gets to determine this line? And maybe you felt like some church has got to determine the line. I'm here to tell you, it's not the church who gets to determine the line. Those of you who are parents know one aspect of who gets to determine the line. And those of you that have ever, ever been kids before, having parents, just in case we didn't cover everybody, you know who gets to determine the line. Whoever creates gets to determine the line, right? What's the, what's the phrase? I brought you into this world and I will take you out of this world. This is a system of justice saying, I'll get to determine the line. I get to determine. I created you in God's sovereign, sovereign authority. I got the chance to create you, and I get to determine the line. What's righteous, what's unrighteous. Genesis 1 and 2, right? God created all of us. So who gets to determine the line? The children? 
Tell you what, if we allow the children to determine the line in our home, that's called anarchy. It's not God's given responsibility. And it's the same thing when, it when we're talking about God's creation. He created it. He gets to determine the line. But there's another, there's another aspect of who gets to determine the line. The best gets to determine the line, right? The greatest. The one that's best at the thing gets to determine the line. Sports. The superstar. They get to set the clubhouse decorum. Whoever's the greatest gets to determine the line. So when it comes to this line of justice, who's the greatest? Acts 17.31, this, this Paul that I referenced earlier, he was preaching to, to, to people in Athens. And he's talking about, for he, and that's God, has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. What man is that? What man is that? Okay, he's going to tell us. And he proved, God proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Okay, when you raise from the dead, you get to set some lines. So as soon as you get to raise from the dead, you can talk to me about setting lines. And he rose from the dead because he was God. And if you are God living on this earth, you have 100% complete righteousness. You never went below the line. If you're God, you never go the below the line of righteousness. You are always righteous. Every thought that you ever had was righteous. Every action you ever had was righteous. So when you're the best at it, you get to set the line. You get to determine where the line is. And everything below that line is unrighteousness. Is unrighteousness. And because Jesus was completely perfect and completely righteous, anything lower than completely perfect and completely righteous is unrighteous. Paul says this, says this in Romans 2.16, On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus, or according to Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the plumb line by which everybody, including their secrets, gets judged by. And I think for all of us sitting here, no matter how far away right now you feel from God or believe that you are from God or how much you really believe in this Jesus thing and this church thing and this judging thing and this health thing, if there was a man who lived a perfect, a totally righteous life, if there was that guy, I think all of us would agree, if we were honest, I don't live up to that. I don't live up to that. I am below that line. So we got some splainer to do, right? We got some problems. We got another question. What happens to people who are not at or above the line? Who are, what happens to people who are below the line? We already read part of it. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 13, 50, throwing the wicked in the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Awesome, warm fuzzies. Here's what Paul said about that. Romans 2, 8 through 11. But God, He, God, will pour out His anger and wrath on those who live for themselves. Like, wrath, I thought that was an Old Testament thing. Nope, this is New Testament as well. 
who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. For the Jew first, for the religious person who grew up with all this, they fall below the line as well. And also for the Gentile, those who didn't grow up with this. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Righteous acts do not get us into, in, in good with God. It's being righteous that gets us good, in good with God. And he doesn't show favoritism for righteous acts. He only is interest, interested in us being righteous. And when we fall below that line, we fall underneath God's wrath. And this is where you're like, whoa. So is this like, you're talking about like this God who gets revenge. Like this sounds like a God who gets revenge. People who do bad stuff and, 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 and do him wrong, he just gets revenge too. Not so fast, my friend. Not so fast. See, his wrath was never intended for us. Revelation 20.10, then the devil who had deceived them, all of us, was thrown into the fiery lake of, of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they would be tormented day and night forever and ever. Look, 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 Satan, the devil, he is the first rebellious one. And hell and God's wrath was raining down on him first. But by our sin, we chose to follow Satan. See, when we follow something and when we follow someone, we don't get to pick and choose the, the, the reward and consequences of following them. We get it all. So when we follow somebody into a stupid night, we get to enjoy the temporary enjoyments of that night. But we don't get to pick and choose that we don't get the morning after. When we follow somebody, we get all the rewards and all the consequences of following somebody. So when we follow Satan into sin, because we all have dropped below that line, we get all the rewards of the temporary joy and we get all the eternal wrath that was de designed to be for Satan alone. We just simply fall underneath that. Twenty fifteen, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life, everybody that fell below that line was thrown into the lake of fire, the same lake of fire that was designed for Satan. We get the same thing because we simply follow him there. Why would a loving God send people to hell? Well, there's two misnomers about that. We'll deal with the loving God part, for, part second. Send people to hell. We'll deal with that one first. He doesn't. He doesn't. We simply follow. See, we were talking about the God's kingdom, the capital being heaven. See, when we follow Jesus, we simply follow Jesus straight to his capital. We can't pick one without the other. If we're going to decide to follow Satan straight into our sin, we're going to follow him straight to his capital. We don't get one without the other. We don't get to pick and choose. 
So this loving God part. Is God loving? If this is, if this is reality, is God loving? First, let's talk about love. See, our culture has defined love as this warm, fuzzy feeling that, 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 that shows up somewhere between our chest and our knees. Warm, fuzzy feeling that shows up somewhere in between there. That's, that's, by our culture's definitions, that's love. Biblically, what love is, is sacrifice. Sacrifice. And the more unconditional, the better. Unconditional love is love or sacrifice that's given no matter what the other person does. We love unconditional love to be shown to us, but we don't necessarily love to give unconditional love to somebody else. Because I have my rights. It's great when we get it, but we don't necessarily have to show. So that's what love really is. And see, the, the, the concept of wrath and love is not incompatible. In fact, we would cry out a massive injustice if we showed love by letting people off the hook. If we said, oh, that child molester, let him off the hook. It's unloving to send him to prison. Tar and pitchforks, right? See, it isn't that that we have an issue with a line of justice and wrath being poured out on somebody below that. It's just that we always believe that we're above the line. That we get to determine the line. See, we already established we don't get to determine the line when it comes to God's system of justice. But let's talk about the loving God part. In a series of questions, I don't know, I think I've got about 15 questions or so. Could have asked more, but we'll, we'll hit some big ones. Was it loving of God to create us in His image? Genesis 1.26, Then God said, let us make human beings in our image. That our image, like, who's all there? That's a reference to God's Trinitarian aspect of Him. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That they were all there during creation. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So was it loving of God to create us in His image? Was it loving of God to create this world beautiful and give it to us as a gift? Romans 1.20, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. You're like, wait a minute, that doesn't talk about a beautiful world, a beautiful earth, a beautiful creation. Okay, not directly, but indirectly. Paul's just like, have you ever seen a sunset before? Have you looked at God's creation? How can you not think that there is a God because of the beautiful creation that he has given us as a gift? Was it loving of God to create the world beautiful and give it to us as a gift? Some of you are going to wig over an Xbox One as a gift for Christmas. But the world is a pretty decent gift. Gift. 
Was it loving of God to create us with perfect righteousness? Again, going back to this image of God thing. He created us in his image, and a part of his image is perfect righteousness. He created us to be perfectly righteous and in perfect relationship with him. That's how he created us. Was it loving of God for him to create us that way? Was it loving of God to give us a choice to love him back? Jesus 2, 17, after he said, you can eat of every fruit in this garden except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat this fruit, you are sure to die. Was it loving of God for us, for him to give us a choice to love him back or not? Look, a husband who forces his wife to love him, neither is loving to his wife nor gets love back from his wife. For God to be truly loving, he had to give us a choice to love him back. It is more than about eating an apple or not. It is about the choice to love him back or not. For him to be truly loving, he had to give us a choice to love him. Just like a husband who forces his wife to love him, neither is loving nor gets a loving wife. If he forced us to love him, he is neither loving nor does he get loving people or people who love him. Was it loving of God to judge Satan and create hell for him? Was it loving of him to judge the rebellious one, the adversary, the liar? Was it, was it loving of God to judge him and create hell for him? What we already read, Revelation 20.10, then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Was it loving of God? Was it loving of God to not create man for hell or hell for man? He did not create us for hell. He created us for paradise. And he did not create hell for us. He created hell for Satan. Was it loving of God? Now let's get to the remedy. We've talked about the problem. Now let's get to the remedy, the solution to the problem. See, only one person has ever reached the line of righteousness that's required. So let's get to the solution. Was it loving of God to send his son to die as a cover from God's wrath? Romans 3.25 God presented him, Jesus, as a propitiation through faith in his blood to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. You're like, wait a minute, that's, that verse says nothing. Go ahead and leave that up, Lydia. That verse says nothing about covering of wrath. Oh, contrary, it does. The big P word up there? It's a $5 theological word that means the covering from wrath. Propitiation through faith in his blood. God's wrath is pouring down on Satan. We're, we, we as sinners who have followed Satan have followed Satan directly into the wrath of God. But instead of leaving us there or instead of giving absolutely no solution, what God has done is send his son to 
absorb the wrath of God so that by faith we can be covered. So somewhere below Satan's heels, there is a dam that we by faith can come up underneath so that we don't experience the wrath of God. Was God loving to send a covering of his wrath for us? Was it loving of God to send his son to die despite our sin, Romans 5a, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners? He sent his son to die despite the fact that we were sinners. Was it loving of God to do so? Was it loving of God to allow us the gift of his righteousness by faith alone? 3.22, Romans 3.22, that is God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. By faith, by faith is how we receive righteousness. And God looks at us. When we take on Jesus' righteousness by faith, when God looks at us, all he sees is the righteousness of Christ. That's it. So was God loving to give that to us as a gift? John 14, 6, was the loving of God to give us one clear way to righteousness? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. See, our culture says all ways get there. But see, that's murky and convoluted. That's not clear. Is it loving of God to give us one clear way so that we can know how to get to that line? Matthew 3, 23, 37. Was it loving of God to weep over his people despite their hard hearts? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. This is Jesus weeping, weeping and lamenting over his own people. How often I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her cheeks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Was it loving of God to look at his people despite the fact they were only days away from killing him? To look at them and weep over the condition of their heart? Was it loving of God to weep over the people who was going to kill him? Was it loving of God to give Paul a heart that desires his own life be damned if it meant his own people were saved? Romans 9, 1 through 3, with Christ as my witness, I speak with other truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save him. Only God can give a heart like that. Only God can give a heart that would say, I would rather go to hell if it meant all of my people be saved. And for many of you, you've had somebody in your life at some point in time have a heart that God gave them to share with you about the righteousness that Jesus gives. A loving God gives sacrificially. And Jesus came to give his life as a sacrifice despite our sin and really probably because of our sin 
to cover us from his wrath. His own wrath. Who does that? Who covers their own wrath for people who gave them the birth? Who does that? God does. Let me ask you this. Is God loving? He gave a way out. Is God loving? He's not seeking revenge. In fact, He threw Himself underneath His own wrath for us. He allowed His own wrath to be thrown on Him at the cross. And He does that unconditionally. No matter what we do, we always, always, always are able to be covered by Jesus. Oh, this is why we as people, we as a church, do not get the right to judge people and say there's no hope for you. Because he did this for everyone without showing favoritism. So it, was a, it is a gross injustice for any church to show favoritism towards any people. That's injustice. That's actually the injustices of all injustices because while we, might sh- while we might have an injustice on this earth over a murder, if we show favoritism to somebody by not allowing them to know the Jesus that covers their, the wrath of God, if we show that injustice, that is an injustice that lasts for all eternity. An injustice that we would show on this earth would only last until those people are dead. An injustice of the church would last for all eternity. See, there's a difference between judgment and judging. There's a difference between warning about an impending judgment by God because we have followed Satan. And the difference between judging This is why you can be of any background. But come. To learn. To see. Question for every one of us is what's our response? 2 Peter 3 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No. He's being patient for your sake. The reason you're still alive is that he is being patient with you. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. Read that. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. But wants everyone to repent. The only action, it's not with money, it's not acting with money, it's not acting with righteousness, it's not, it's not acting by coming to church or reading your Bible more. The only action that will save us is repentance. Saying, I've blown it, I'm below that line, you has, have given me the chance to come at and, and above that line, I want that. 
that's what I want. That's repentance. Have you repented? When the angels come, and the snapshot that is this, this judgment, this, this net that's, that's going to capture everybody, when that snapshot occurs, what will the angels find? The righteousness of Jesus by faith alone? Or something less than that? And those of you that have settled this question, and you can point to a time where you've repented and, and asked God for His forgiveness and His righteousness, this time of reflection is simply to worship the God who has covered you from His own wrath. And that should prompt some pretty good worship. That's why we worship. And if you look back to your life and you say, man, God is still being patient with me because I haven't done that repentance thing yet. This is a safe place to be real about that. We're going to have people back in the back to help you through that and to talk to you about that and to pray with you. There's nothing magical about that. It's just simply helping you connect with God. That's all we want. So during this time of reflection, we're going to have two songs. The first song is for you to reflect and pray and worship and, 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 and ask God for forgiveness and repent or whatever God is laying on your heart. The second one is to respond and say, the flesh that you broke for me and the blood that you spilled out for me to cover the wrath that I was under, I celebrate that. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. There's, there's, there's the elements in the back of the room. And when you are ready during the second song, when you are ready and, and have reflected and, 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 and are ready to celebrate what Jesus did on the cross, feel free to go as an individual or as a family to take of the bread and of the grape juice. just want to be clear. So really, right now, we want you to worship and praise the one who has covered you from his wrath. Because that is a loving God. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. Lord, um, I just pray that something connects, that something gets through, that something... Um, leads people to repentance and leads those of us who have repented to lead us to worship just just this this extreme worship of, of, of you because you have covered us from your wrath you don't ignore our sin in fact because you don't you sent your son to the cross to cover it Lord, send your spirit through our heart to respond. And worship. Whatever that means for us today. To your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us. There'll be a couple of us in the back if you want to pray and talk. Otherwise, worship the one who has covered the wrath. Thank you for listening to the Cross Point Fellowship Podcast. Find us on Facebook at My Crosspoint, where we help you connect with God 
on a daily basis.